Hello, and welcome to the Apostolic Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan French, and today I'm talking with my longtime best friend, Josh Michael. We go way, way back, and you'll have to forgive us for reminiscing a little bit. I knew Josh long before he enlisted in the Army and earned a Purple Heart and Combat Infantry badge in Afghanistan. On September 8, 2011, Josh was hit by an 82-millimeter mortar round and sustained an injury that would change his life. Josh's platoon had already seen over 420 missions, 100 firefights, and walked almost 800 miles during that deployment alone. The mortar blast fractured his left knee, putting him in a wheelchair for three months. It also shattered his left elbow and forearm, causing nerve trauma. In many ways, overcoming that injury and accomplishing great personal success in civilian life is Josh's most heroic achievement. Through it all, Josh never stopped serving the Lord. In this episode, Josh shares practical apostolic principles that have propelled him to success, principles you can apply to your life as well. We also talk about things churches and individuals can do to minister to veterans in our communities and how we can reach veterans with the gospel. And we talk about overcoming strong tempers and much, much more. Short break, and we'll dive right in. Josh, welcome and congratulations on your new job, your move to Dallas, Texas, and your new home. And uh, man, I just appreciate you being on the program today. Well, I appreciate the time and effort that you're putting into your podcast. I know uh, I've been listening to it, and it's really good to hear somebody talk about today's issues from a Pentecostal perspective without shying away from real issues. I, I really enjoy that. And, you know, we've been friends a very long time. You know, your family calls me a brother, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, for those that don't know, Josh is really the fourth French brother in the French family. <laughs> and uh, But I get the credit for that because he was my friend first, and <laughs> we, we go way, way, way back. Josh, are you have you purchased the house yet? Are you in Dallas? Where are you at right now? So I'm still in San Antonio right now, um, where I, the last couple weeks— um, Sold my house. The market's pretty crazy right now. Sold my house in San Antonio. It closes next week. And then I had to wait to close on this house before I could purchase my next house. So my house up there is going to close like a week after. So for those who don't know, uh, Josh just accepted a new job, a new position in Dallas, a really tremendous opportunity. So Josh, for people who don't know with your new job, what is medical device sales and what are you going to be doing? So the medical device industry could be anything from Band-Aids to a surgery robot. And so it's something I've always been wanting to get into. And uh, my job is going to be with a surgery robot. And it specializes in minimal invasive surgery, which means somebody might have a bariatric surgery or a hernia surgery that may take you know, a couple months to recover from. Um, it, they can recover in a couple weeks instead because it – you have to take a less, uh, you know, 
less invasive surgery, I guess that's what it means. So instead of cutting a hole big enough for two hands, it takes little incisions and uses precision instruments. And it's really cool. So I'll be inside of the uh, operating rooms with the surgeons during surgery to to support them with the uh, with the robot, and it's going to be really exciting. That's so cool. I'm I'm really happy for you, Josh. Now, as we've already mentioned, our our friendship goes back a long time. In fact, many people <laughs> uh, who know me now uh, would would really be shocked to know that I was in a band many, many moons ago, and you were in it with me. We were in Four in the Fire. You were the bass player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess I, I sang and played guitar and who knows what else, probably a tambourine. And yeah. um, those really were great days. We we traveled all over the country. I think we tore my parents' minivan. What kind of minivan was that? Do you even remember? I'm pretty sure it was a Dodge Caravan. Yeah, Dodge Caravan. We <laughs> we we traveled with that thing. My parents were so kind. They let us rip the seats out of the back of that and fill it with uh, amps and guitars and drums and everything else and drive all over and, and uh, play in churches and for youth groups. And uh, we had we had a lot forget of great we days. Sang. Don't forget we played in 2003 at Youth Congress. Don't forget. That's National. right. We did. We did. We played at Youth Congress uh, 2003. So eat your heart out, yeah. Nathan, yeah, eat eat your heart out, Nathan. And <laughs> <laughs> we sure did. You know, uh, I have to be careful when I get into stories like this publicly with Josh because he has so many stories that he could tell. But uh, I'm going to tell one that will embarrass Josh a little bit. But we, uh, okay. <laughs> if you knew Josh in the younger days, and I think even still a little bit to this day, Josh, you've always been like the pickiest eater I've I've ever known in my life. Um, and I mean, for years it was like, what are we going to get, what are we going to eat? You know, and we were in your first impart- apartment was rat infested. I remember that it, it got what? a little better. It, it, the one with, uh, the one we threw, oh. the one we tossed the, uh, couch no out jokes. the window. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then it got a little better after that. And, um, so we'd be at the apartment and, and, uh, I'd get out of class or something and, what are we going to eat? It was always pizza, always pizza. And well, yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, I mean, nothing really. I mean, especially if you live in Indianapolis where you've got Donato's close by, praise God. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, but uh, so it was pizza, spaghetti, um uh Twizzlers and Oh god. A cereal maybe. Well, you ate some cereal. I and anyway, that was yeah, that was a, those were about the only things that you were willing to eat ever. So we were with the youth group oh. after church one night, and we went to P.F. Chang's. Do you remember this? So we had a no. huge, we had a huge group. We went to P.F. Chang's, which, for those who don't know, it, it's Chinese food. And I knew when we were getting ready to go there, from the expression on Josh's face, he was not happy about it at all. Well, I was also poor. Remember, I was living in a rat-infested apartment. That's true. Apparently, and I couldn't afford P.F. Chang's. Well, I don't. So. Neither one of us really probably <laughs> had any business going there in those days. And uh, and yeah. so, but I'll I'll never forget it. Like we're all ordering like Mugu Guy Pan and and you know just Chinese dishes. <laughs> and Josh looks at the server and says, "Do y'all have any hamburgers?" <laughs> No, I didn't. Yes, That's you funny. did. And so Josh <laughs> well, is at PF Chang's, know. and they bring out this disgusting-looking hamburger for him. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, Texas Roadhouse. Oh, yeah. We were into steak, steak and potatoes. That was and yeah. uh, and outback. Well, it's interesting that people have known me the longest, like you. I always love to bring up how picky of an eater I am, and people to this day still say that about me. But I feel like I've gotten better. Oh, I, be- you I, know, I believe you have absolutely. At this point in my life, who cares? You know, who cares if you're a picky eater? You just eat what you like, yeah, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Who says you got to eat a bunch of different stuff, anyways? You know. <laughs> Is your yeah, wife a picky eater pe- too? Is Brittany no, a picky? No, my wife, my wife will eat anything, and that's why it's so funny because you know she's not picky, and I am, and you know then she complain we don't eat where I want to eat. I'm like, well, because you you don't tell me where you want to go, <laughs> you know, and that was our I think that was our problem whenever uh, our group was all hanging out when we were younger is that no, you know, we ate where I wanted to because I was the only one that actually had a, an opinion of where to go. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, what is your favorite or funniest or craziest memory of four in the fire? And on top of that, I want to mention shout out to Nathan French and noteworthy podcast. And by the way, you can go to Nathan French's podcast called noteworthy episode 52. That episode is called Josh Michael at Pentecostal in the infantry and Josh and Nathan do a deep dive into Josh's testimony and his military career, his injury and all of that. So I highly recommend you go over there for a a more in-depth conversation about the military. But speaking of Nathan, Nathan loves to talk about the four and the fire days. He's a lot younger than me. Yeah. So Nathan, I'm eight years older than Nathan, which what makes you nine years older than Nathan, Josh? Is that about right? Uh, I'm 39. Yes. Oh, all right. So you're. Yeah. yeah, I'm old. I'm about to be forty. Believe yeah, or not. me and you both we're getting there, and and so he. T- but he likes to say that we just used him to carry amps and carry guitars and make cookies. 100%. And did we? Okay, all right. 100%. Well, I've been denying that for years. So we really did that. Oh, yeah. No, oh he cared, but he wanted to. Get <laughs> me wrong, dude. Would follow us around. He's your little brother. I mean. He wanted to. He wanted to carry the amps. He wanted to get us drinks and, it, and all it's that. Not, it's and, not like we were just being jerks, right? <laughs> no, he wanted to do it. I mean, we probably were being jerks too, but he wanted to do it. Yeah. Oh, so, my goodness. Funniest story, if you want to, I mean, maybe not four in a fire days, but I still laugh at this to this day. Jonathan, your other brother, you know, I taught him how to play bass. Yes, you did. And he's yeah. actually, he's a better bass player than I ever was, that's for sure. He's outstanding. But, um, so, uh, you know, long story short, you know, you had a friend in Chicago that had a golf ball business and they would send you bags of golf balls and your parents' house, you know, overlooked a, a field in Indianapolis. And so we would take those golf balls and hit them in the field, but we didn't want to go get them. So we would tell Jonathan and Nathan. Oh, to don't tell the story. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So we would tell Jonathan and Nation to go out there and pick those things up. So they literally would run out there <laughs> 200 yards and and fish through the entire field and bring no. back golf balls. And then we would hit them. <laughs> I hope they don't listen to <laughs> this episode. Them. I we would hit them again. And then they, all for the promise of maybe they might be able to hit them. It's not like we were saying, hey, you go get them, then you can hit them. So we might let you hit them. And then I after we would about it, that. After we were done hitting the ball, then we would let them hit the ball. And That's then terrible. I think that 
Well, yeah, out of 100 balls, they would maybe find 20. Then after we'd hit those, they would find maybe five, and they would let them hit those five. (laughs) (laughs) That's so terrible. I forgot about that. (laughs) And you know what's awful? But you know what? God has a sense of humor because I'm the worst golfer you've ever met in your life, and Jonathan is one of the best golfers you'll ever meet, and Nathan's very, very good, and and I'm out of – all of us, and you're better than I am by a lot. Even after your injury, you're still better than me. No, I haven't played golf in years. Yeah, I, I haven't either because I'm so bad. So God knows he, he he gave them all the skill, and, and he got, got even with us for that, for sure. Well, it's probably because they didn't have as many balls to hit, so they had to make each shot count. They had to so make every shot count. <laughs> they had to work for that shot. They sure did. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Do you remember, I mean... I mean, really, I, I have one of the greatest mothers in the world. I mean, she let us come into her house in her living room yes. and set up bass amps and guitar drums. amps, drums, a full set of drums. Full set of drums. I mean, the With, whole deal. And play as loud as we want. Yeah, and we, and we didn't play soft either. We we cranked it up in there. I mean, the, poor, the windows were rattling everything. Yeah. You have to know my mom. She's not really a fan of loud noises anyway. But or or guitar music. Or guitar music. Matter. Yeah. Yeah. And but she loved us enough to to let us do it and supported us anyway. It's incredible. And yeah. made us dinner. Yeah. Yeah. It, with a smile on her face. Yeah. An incredible that's an incredible mom right there. She, yeah. She flat let us do it. Well, those were fun days. Those yeah, were fun for sure. days. I want to switch to uh, the military for just a little bit. As I already mentioned in the intro, you were severely wounded, hit by a mortar, months and months. How long was your recovery? Because, I mean, really it took from beginning to end of a, a very, very long time. I mean, it's one of those things where some, some wounds you never recover from. You know, you can only recover so much. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I was in – I was at Bamsey for 18 months. So that's, you know, basically when I finished up my physical therapy and things like that, but, you know, PTSD and those kind, you know, that kind of therapy continues, you know, until, you know, to this day. So, you know, my, my body is about as, you know, it's about as healed as it's ever going to be, you know, so it's, it's fine. People don't even really notice anymore. How much mobility do you have in, you know, in your arm and elbow and wrist and all that? Are you... Um, I can't, I can't bend my wrist at all. I can't fully extend my arm. It's my elbow is titanium. So, but you know, like I said, it's, it, there's some nerve damage there in my, in my hand still, but to be honest with you, I mean, you see me walking down the street or, you know, it's hard you know, to notice wedding, now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at your wedding, it's not like people are stopping me like, what's wrong with your arm? Right. You know, nobody's doing that. So yeah. You'd almost um, have to know the story Yeah. to notice it. Yeah. At, at this point, which is a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. It's a miracle yeah, because it's... it was such a bad, it was, it was such a traumatic experience, but I want to ask you knowing what you've been through and, and the, the circles that you run in and the people, I know you've done a lot of advocacy for, for veterans, especially wounded veterans and things like that. Even being connected to George Bush's 
advocacy group. How how can people express appreciation for a veteran's service and sacrifice without being awkward or uncomfortable? Because I find myself, just honestly, as as a civilian who's never served, if I if I see a veteran or if I or even if I see an, someone who's active in military service, I want to say something or do something, but I don't want to be awkward or make them feel uncomfortable. Uh, can you kind of help people with that? Because I think a lot of people feel like I do. I would say you just say thank you for your service. I mean, that's not to be you know cheesy or anything, but you know one of the Army values is selfless service. So if you encounter a veteran or somebody that's craving that thank you, I mean, they maybe their heart wasn't in the in the right way. So no matter what you say to them, you know they're going to appreciate it. But I know it's it's not really awkward for me when people say thank you for your service. It's harder for me to know how to react to it, to be honest with you. It took me a long time um, to even know what to say back, <laughs> to be honest with you, because I'm like, well, you know, I, 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 you know, I just say, well, proud to serve, you know, and that's, that's pretty much what people expect back. I think is, you know, it's some veterans don't know what to say back. And, you know, especially, I think I might have touched on Nathan's podcast of this, you know, post 9-11 vets probably have the most gratitude from, from America, from this nation about the war we're fighting. But um, in between, you know, World War II and 9-11, the Vietnam vets really had the toughest time yeah. with getting thanks. Right. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, there's many Vietnam vets that, um, that I've talked to and just, I hear stories about, you know, somebody says, thank you for your service. And they're like, that's the first time anybody's even said anything to me about thanking you for your service. And do, so, you, do you feel like it means something to them now? Do, do they enjoy absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Nick, because I can't imagine being a Vietnam vet and, you know, especially, you know, in, a, in an era right now where they're seeing all these young soldiers coming back that um, probably haven't even seen you know, the kind of fighting they did in Vietnam and to see them get accolades and, and to say, you know, pats on the back and said, Oh, and you did so great. But then they, you know, they saw just God awful amount of, of, of death and destruction and not even a thank you yeah. or a benefit or anything like that. So it's, so to them, you know, I'm not saying to go find Vietnam vets or, or, you know, to treat anybody differently, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, teaching your kids or just going up, you see somebody, you're not going to frighten them. They'll, they'll appreciate, you know, thank you for your service, you know, and, you know, it, no matter if they just graduated basic training or, you know, they, they're a SF guy that just completed 10 tours, you know, it's going to ring, ring in their heart to know that, you know, Hey, I appreciate your service. And, that's all you really need to do. There's nothing really else that you you really can do. So the um, lesson is, even even if it if you worry that it might make a veteran or a soldier feel awkward, just do it anyway because long term, it, it's going to be a blessing to them and and encourage them sure. in some way. Awesome. Yeah, because I don't, you know, some veterans struggle with is their service enough? You mm-hmm. know, is, is what they're doing enough? And so. Um, because there's not every job is combat, you know, actually the majority of the jobs are not combat. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so they have to watch, you know, 
sometimes arrogant guys like me, you know, strut around with their, you know, combat patch and their war stories. And, and they didn't have that, you know, because they didn't choose that job, but they don't want to feel like their services diminished because of that. So, you know, just be grateful, be grateful and thankful to everyone. uh, Yeah. Regardless. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's only, you know, I've, I've had people, you know, ask me what they should do and they want to join the military or what branch should they go to? And I told them, I was like, well, if you're going to try to join the infantry because you think people are going to be signing up in droves to thank you for your service. I was like, there's only like a very, there's a very, very, very small percentage of people out there that know the difference between guys like me and people that are, you know, working in the office. There's just a very small percentage. And so, you know, find a job that maybe that will um, apply to something out of the military or, if you're going to go infantry, just do it, just to do it, do it for the right reasons. Because at the end of the day, nobody really knows the difference or yeah. cares really. That's so <laughs> true. Know? People so. don't know. Well, let me ask you a, kind of a three-part question that I think is very important. I think churches need to be paying attention and saints in general. What kind of unique needs do veterans have post, post-military? And what should churches be doing to help veterans that are already in their church? So you have people in your church who are veterans. And and also, what should and can churches be doing to reach out to veterans in their community that don't have a church? And and maybe you could break it down where it's not just a church, but as an individual in a church. What can we do? It's a really good, great question that, that I wish I could tell you that there's um – an easy answer for all those, for those three point questions, because believe it or not, you know, NGOs and nonprofits out there are spending a lot of money and a lot of effort trying to figure this out, just not for churches, for just in general, how to reach a veteran. What can we do for a veteran to make them better? Uh, There's committees, there's high powered individuals, um, that sit in a, on a board, you know, very smart people try to figure this out. At, at Hope Center Church, where I go in San Antonio, I'm in charge of the Veterans of Hope. And my what I told Pastor Scoggins was, you know, for me, especially in San Antonio, where you have a bunch of wounded veterans, I know that a lot of veterans are more comfortable taking advice from other veterans, you know, especially wounded veterans. They're going to you know, they're going to relate more to people that have seen what they've gone through. But wounded veterans are a small percentage of the veteran population, right? right. Not, maybe not, not every in, veteran is a wounded veteran, right? Right. And maybe not in San Antonio, but I know for a fact, I just know how I feel. So if I'm going to go to a church and I see somebody in charge of a program, I want to see somebody that's done some stuff, you know, somebody that's respectable, right? But not everybody is like me, you know, and that's... <laughs> You know, some people uh, spend, you know, thousands of dollars on therapy to be able to say that sentence. I just kind of figured it out. Not everybody's like me and I have to accept that. And so I would say, you know, veterans, not every veteran wants to participate and and that's okay, right? Mm. But there's going to be some that really do and they do want to link up with the other veterans because it's not just – you know, you go to a town and you find a new church to go to and you're excited because you have people that you can relate to. It's a group you can get a part of right away. So if a church decides they want to start a veteran ministry, 
I would just say, you know, pick somebody that is really wants to do it, that has time to do it, because it is a lot of effort to if to do it right. Create some dialogue, you know, make a group, get an event going at church that, you know, will feed people, you know, just to kind of have some, you know, commune with the veteran community. And and, the, and honestly, veterans just take care of the rest. You know, they'll find people like them. They'll sit by people and they'll find the people that want to talk and they'll talk. You know, it'll make them feel better, especially if they were in church during you know, during the time, you know, and they can talk about what that's like. But I mean, that's, if you're wanting to reach veterans, honestly, you just, you get somebody to get in charge of the group and you put the word out that there is a group and then you'd start organizing, uh, organizing, you know, meals or little group outings. And, uh, eventually they'll just gel and you'll have a strong foundation. And then, um, if you really want to see it grow, then have those veterans reach out to people that aren't in church because like I said, you're not, it's going to be tougher for a civilian to go out into a community to try to relate to a veteran, to have them come to church. But if they see that it's just like having a youth group at a church, right? It's no different than any other group in church. Uh, if they see something that they can relate to, they're going to be more apt to come. So let's you know, say if, let's say if you're a veteran and you're in a church right now, you really should be the person that should should take a burden uh, yes. to start a group like that. Start yes. finding other veterans who might already be in your church, and whether it's one or two or three or four or a hundred, uh, connect them into a, a small group, and then from that small group, start reaching into uh, reaching out to veterans in the community. Because really, it's gonna yeah. it's gonna take a veteran to really relate and reach a veteran in the community. Is, is that kind of what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just like, uh, I mean, I, what I like to say is, you know, veterans are special, but so are other groups, right? So, sure. you know, recovering alcoholics is a group. Uh, you're not going to have uh, a non-recovering alcoholic. You can reach out to a recovering alcoholic, but the one that has actually gone through, it's going to, you know, their influence is going to be greater so, and, and veterans, you know, they know how to talk to other veterans. It's just kind of a, a thing that you develop over time. And so it's, it's a familiar spirit, right? So yeah, you, you find somebody in the church that's interested in doing it. Somebody that's, you know, an extrovert that's, you know, outgoing, that likes to do, that likes to do stuff, you know, that's, that's going to have a, you know, a heart to do that. And it's not going to be overnight, you know, veterans trust other veterans, but you know, sometimes not as quick as, as some other people. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes time. So really a church, or if you're a member of a church, the best thing you can do is just create an atmosphere that encourages that, support a veteran who wants to have a vision and a burden for that ministry, get underneath that, support it, but they're going to be the ones that have the, the connection and the wherewithal and the know-how to help other veterans and a church just kind of comes underneath that and supports it. Yeah. Cause honestly, you'd be really surprised how many veterans in your church that you didn't know they're veterans. Yes. You know, even at Hope mm-hmm. Center Church, when we started this up and I had people sign up for it, you know, some people were afraid to even say they were a veteran. They've been in for, you know, maybe they were in for two years. I'm like, Oh, I'm not that. I'm like, dude, it's, <laughs> you served it. You're part of the group, you know, and, and, and that really lightened some people's hearts about it. And, um, 
Yeah, it's you amazing. Want most, yeah, you want as many people involved as possible, just I, like any ministry. I, I was stunned um, the first time. I, I can't remember. It was one of the, the holiday, probably Veterans Day weekend or something like that. In a Sunday morning service, we asked, you know, if you've served in any capacity in, in the military, would you stand? And we wanted to give them honor, and we had some things we were doing. And I I mean, people stood up that I've known for many years, and I had no idea that they'd been in, in the military for, for some of them, like 10 years when they were young, but yeah. just, just had no idea. It really is true. I, I, I think a lot of churches, you might be sitting this, next to someone in church someone that you feel like you really know, but have no idea that they, they served and sometimes and went through some pretty pretty stunning things that you'd be shocked about. Yeah, it's so true. You know, maybe they're a Vietnam vet and they just never heard that. Yeah. Or they're ashamed of their service. I've, I've met some that have been uh, ashamed of their service and afraid to say, but... Or they just, think, just or they just think no one cares. You know, you you know how it is. You've sure. been you've been yeah. out for a long time. You don't just walk up to people and say, "Hey, I'm Josh." You know, I served in the military and was wounded. You know, people just don't <laughs> people just don't always know. It, it doesn't yeah. always come up naturally in conversation, and so yeah. I, and there I, are people that do that. Believe it or not, there's a lot well, <laughs> of people that walk up and say, "Hi, I'm Josh, and I served in the war. Give me a cheeseburger." Yeah. <laughs> Now, now I want to switch gears, um, and, and I know this is a little bit of an awkward question, but I think it is a good question. Uh, the old Josh, my best friend from from the many many moons ago, had a quick and very strong temper, and, and you're not the same Josh in that in that area. Can you talk mm. about how how the Lord has helped you with that? I, I know. I know life and just growing and getting older and maturity and the military, all of those things kind of play in. But can you just talk to, because I know a lot of people who struggle with, with their temper, good people. I'm not, not that they're bad people, but some personalities just have a quick flaring temper and it, it can be hard to get it under control. But how have you learned to, to manage that over the years? Well, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a good thing my wife's not on the podcast because she was like, what do you mean? It hasn't yeah. gotten better at all. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no wives allowed on the podcast for this conversation. Yeah, yeah. she always asks me, why, is it, why does nobody ever want to ask me? I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, I, <laughs> probably because I don't offer. You know? <laughs> right, right. But, um, well, you know, I, I personally don't remember having a quick and strong temper back in the day, but, you know, sometimes you're not, you don't see yourself how you are. Um, and definitely when you get in the military, it, it does not help that at all. Um, and then on top of that, getting blown up several times and then having, a, you know, a traumatic brain injury and combat stress kind of accentuates that. So whenever I got hit um, and I was in the hospital, I, I, you thought I had a temper back then. You, I had a really bad temper for a little while and um, it was a struggle. I mean, it's, it's like anything else, you know, you have to work on it, but you also have to have a, 
you have to have a purpose of why you're trying to fix it. Right. And mm-hmm. so I know I keep dropping the military past, which, you know, it's, it's a, it's a chapter of my life, but it doesn't really, you know, it's not what I do now, but I will say that, um, majority of veterans that get out, you know, they have anger issues and they are alcoholics and they have divorce and they have bad relationships with people. And, um, I, I really didn't want that. I didn't want to be a statistic where I get out, you know, I wanted to be married and I want to have a family and I want them to love me and I want them to, and I want to love them. And I don't want to lose that relationship and lose that kind of love by being selfish with a temper and anger. Right. Yeah. So you were intentional. You have to. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it's intentional. It's just like anything else that you want to change in your life. And I have to work on it. You know, um, I have to work on it pretty hard and I still, t- and I, cause it's also not to go down the rabbit hole, but it's also an infantry uh, stereotype as well to to have that aggressive nature and to be aggressive at everything that you do because that's how you're trained right yeah. that's what we're supposed to do that's your training so yeah that's the training so trying to break yourself of that training the army spent a lot of time and effort into uh ingraining in you you know obviously your prayer life is probably number one uh you know uh, pastor scoggins you know, this, you know, I've been working on longer than I've been going to Hope Center, but, you know, he's really good at repeating, you know, slow to anger, quick to mercy. And that's something mm-hmm. that I really, really, really pray about every day. It's one of my one of the first things that I pray for whenever I'm praying, because I have to make sure that that's in my prayer list for the time that I have to pray. And so obviously, you know, I see, you know, my VA people for you know, anger counseling I have, and it's come a long way, you know, but ultimately to answer your question, it's, it's basically an intentional effort of being aware of when you're angry and what you're doing. And a lot of it is swallowing pride and checking an ego, you know, because, you know, especially for guys like me, the disrespect factor, you get disrespected, anger grows for me. You know, and I think that I think a lot of people get angry when they feel like they're disrespected or they don't get taken seriously or, you know, maybe their accomplishments are diminished because of somebody's attitude. Right. So, you know, you just have to, you know, that's one of the things that Pastor Scoggins talks about is, you know, maybe it's not relatable, but maybe it is. But he's talking about your relationships, like your marriages or your friendships. You know, some people pray, oh, God, change my wife, help her to love me more. You know what I mean? Like, oh, God, help my sister to love me, help my brother to love me more. But, you know, I liked his perspective of, and it's a hard pill to swallow for me. And you know me well enough to know this would be hard is you should be praying that you change, Mm. not them. Yeah. So what are you doing? It's not their fault that you're mad. It's your fault. You're mad. Right. So yeah, you got to pray about how can I change? How can I be better? To where even though ownership of, of your own emotions, hundred percent, hundred percent. However, that doesn't make it easy. I mean, it's not like no. a, an end all overnight. I mean, no. I think I got hit 2011. So we're going on 10 years. I've been dealing with this and I'm not saying it's going to take you 10 years to get better, 
it could take you 30 years to get better. But to me, it could take you one day if you just take ownership of, of, of your anger and, and be like, Hey, it's definitely my fault if I'm angry because it's my attitude. It's what I consider a slight to me when it may not be, you know, you know, I'm going to be more personal than I would usually be, but I've never had an anger issue with my personality, but my personality does lean towards depression. And one of the things I've learned about depression is that depression is, is something that if I'm, if I'm feeling it, I have to take ownership of it and realize that, you know, when, you, when someone struggles with depression, you look around and you think, well, if, if they would have done this differently, I wouldn't be depressed. Or if this wasn't happening in my life right now, I, I wouldn't feel depressed. And, and so the emphasis can become selfish where I'm, I'm looking at everyone and thinking, well, if they would change or if this would change or if life hadn't just handed me this or God, if it wouldn't have just if it wouldn't have happened this way. But the reality is depression is my emotion and my response and it's it's not the healthy emotion it's not the healthy response and it doesn't help anything and so taking i relate to what you're saying only in a different area of my of my emotions because i have to take accountability for that and say it's it i can't allow other people or other situations or external circumstances to dictate what my emotions are going to do and i think what you just said in in relationship to anger is very similar and it just dawned on me that what you're saying applies to really any emotional struggle that someone might have you have to take ownership for it you have to realize that i'm the one who's having these feelings and i'm the one who has to to work on it every single day you know josh yeah it's true yeah. i mean and, and i think you could almost say that um you know cuz obviously you know, among other things that I deal with, you know, depression is, is some of it, you know, not a lot. Some people, some veterans I know deal with it heavier than I do, but it, sometimes it's a confidence problem, you know, mm-hmm. and if you're angry and you feel disrespected, cause maybe you're just a little bit not as confident as you should be because, you know, super, you know, people that don't get angry very quick are usually pretty, pretty um, confident in themselves, maybe not arrogant, but they're, you know, they know, you know, they don't have a lot of self doubt because mm-hmm. they're like, well, I don't care if you, you know, slap right. me or one, I don't care. I mean, I, I know what I, I don't care, you know? And, uh, that's not normally my personality is to not to care. That's probably one, a big flaw of mine is I care too much about some stuff, but, but that's why, you know, not to go off on a different tangent, I definitely don't want to, but I, that's why I always suggest, you know, I even suggested to you, you know, cardio is a big, you know, accompanying prayer and, and, and all that. But, uh, you know, I like to mountain bike and, you know, I always suggest people that are really struggling maybe with depression or, or some emotional issues to take up some kind of cardio because it, it really does help you set some, some goals that you can see kind of quick. Right. So it, it'll, you know, you, you feel like you're gaining some confidence and, and you're getting ready, you know, you're kind of getting, you're letting release some of those built up uh, emotions and uh, it really does change your attitude for sure. So I was afraid you were going to go here because I know <laughs> exercise has changed your life and made you a better person. 
and I know <laughs> and I know that all the stats and I've read all the I mean it's true you exercise it releases endorphins it's incredibly good for you not just physically but mentally but I hate exercise <laughs> <laughs> so very much well, that I feel. You found something you like doing. Yeah. When you do, when you say these things to me, I feel conviction just just wash over me because I know that I ought to be, I ought to be. But it really is true. Don't take it from me. Take it from Josh. He's giving great advice. Exercise <laughs> is really good for you. Well, in hey, every let way. Let me put you on the spot, then, Ryan. And since you like to tell everybody I'm a picky eater, all of a sudden. Oh boy. Um, yeah. So think of it like this. I mean. It, you're a minister, you're, you're a preacher in the gospel. And, and for some things, eh, you're totally you setting me up. You're setting me up. Right I'm now, setting, I can oh, tell. Trust me. People don't know what they're getting into when they talk to me. I don't think, but, <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say, take ownership. Right. So there's definitely things that are easier for some, right. I really love mountain biking. It's not easy to do sometimes. It's like, so like a prayer life for you and spiritual, uh, enrichment to your life is easier maybe for you than it is for um, somebody else. Right. Sure. Yeah. And it's more natural. It's more natural for me. Right. Right. So same thing as like a physical trainer or a professional athlete, it's more natural for them to be able to wake up in the morning and work out for an hour and eat right all day, but never look at their Bible and never go to church or even care about God. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet they both kind of have a mission where they're very passionate about exercising because they know the benefit, right? They know the benefit of nutritional eating and they look at somebody that's not healthy, that wants help and don't understand why they don't just get on a bike or why don't just get on an exercise machine. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, kind of similar to a minister, right? So they, you know, you care about souls. You want them to go to heaven and you're trying your best every Sunday to kind of relate to those people. Hey, if you do this, you'll see results. You do this, you'll see results. And they don't do it. And it's frustrating. Yeah. And so it's important. You know, I think that it's it's important to take care of your body that God gave you. God gave you this one body and you should try to take care of it the best you can. And you especially know? And, especially if you're in desperate need physically or mentally and exercise would would fix that or help that in some way and if you're unwilling to do it then that of course you wouldn't be you're not a good steward of the body that god's given you in the same way that you would be a bad steward of your with your body if you're smoking or 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 drinking or something like that Unless you're living under a rock, you're aware that free speech is under assault right now. Big tech is increasingly censoring religious programming and making it hard for Christians' voices to have a digital platform. I predict this problem is going to worsen as time goes on. That's why I'm asking you to consider supporting this podcast on a monthly basis. You can financially support us by giving as little as 99 cents a month, or you can give $4.99 or $9.99 a month. Just go to www.anchor.com. Dot fm forward slash apostolic voice forward slash support. That link is in the show notes on the device you're using to listen right now, and you should be able to just click the link and it will take you where you need to go. 
Thank you to everyone who's already done so. Also, please consider giving Apostolic Voice a five-star rating and review on iTunes. They're the big ones, and they are screening religious programming, sometimes even hiding reviews and rankings. However, if we flood them with reviews, it's more difficult for them to deny our request to post them. Also, keep sharing on social media, and let's be unashamed of our faith, even in the big tech realm. Thank you for listening and lifting us up in prayer. God bless. I'm a firm believer in people pray every day, God, I want this. God, I need this. If you would just give me this, I will do this. I will do this. Please move this mountain. I, God, I need this mountain to move right now. It's blocking my path. It's blocking my path. I need, I need this mountain to move. Well, you know, God wants you to do some of the, of the work, you know, can yeah. you, you're, you're asking God for a million dollars, but God gives you a million dollars. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to pay your tithes? Mm. Are you going to, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to spend all of it the next day, you know, or are you going to pay your tithes and invest and, you know, be a good steward? Maybe you haven't got there yet. Maybe God wants to test and see if you'll take a little bit of that and run. But, you know, if God, if you're praying for God's to heal your body and what I try to do and I'm not perfect is if I'm asking God for something specific, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can to make to make it easier for him to give it to me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, God already died on the cross. He doesn't owe me a thing. You know, God, that's where I think people mess up in their life not just in church is to walk around like people owe them something. Yeah. You know, Ryan, you, you don't owe me anything. My pa- pastor Scoggins does. They don't owe me anything. You know, nobody really owes me anything. It's, it's on you. Nobody, nobody's responsible for you to go to heaven except for yourself. Yeah, period. that's right. So if you're asking God for things, he wants to give them to you. You know, God wants to bless you. Yeah. He wants to give it to you more than you probably even want it. But he doesn't owe you. He doesn't owe you a blessing. That's right. You know, he doesn't, you know, you pay your tithes and you're faithful and, and you have to do it. You have to do things without any sense of reward because Because it's, because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. You owe the debt to God. It's not the other way around. So, you know, you could live a lifetime paying your tithes and, and reaching out and, you know, that's your blessing, you know, or. You know, you pay your tithes the next day, it comes back tenfold. It, it just, I think it all depends on, um, you know, where you're at in your life and what God sees you do for the kingdom. Not, not to get all preachery on you, but I've often said and written that there's no example in the Bible, really, that you can find where God does something for someone that they couldn't do for themselves. Now, God mm-hmm. does a lot of things for people that they can't do for themselves, obviously, you know, me and you can't stand in front of a Red Sea and make the water rise up and let everyone walk across on dry land, right? But right. we can, we can pack up our stuff and walk to the Red Sea and stand there. And so, you know what I mean? So like, if you're not willing to to at least pick up your bags and walk to the, to the obstacle and say, okay, Lord, now I've done everything I can do. Now it's your turn. You know, when you get to that place, then God will start moving. But it's kind of like when Jesus went to the man who was by the pool of Bethesda and he was lame. And Jesus said, uh, you know, do you want to be healed? 
And the man said, well, yeah, I want to be healed, but there's no one here to help me get in the water. And so Jesus said, well, here, just get up and walk, you know. At at some point, the man had to be willing, if he wanted to be healed, he had to be willing to say, all right, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to get up, even though it seems impossible. And the moment he tried to do something, then Jesus healed him. You know, what's got me here is doing what is easy the best I can because that's what was easiest for me. You know, like, so, you know, having a prayer life is easy. You just wake up, start praying, right? Paying your tithes is easy. You just write a check. You know, you get paid, you give 10%, write a check. Um, Church starts, church doors are open, you show up early, you know? Church needs something, you, you just try to see if you can do that. You know, try to give some time. And just over time, you, you chip away at stuff that's easy. And um, and sooner or later, you're doing things that you didn't think you could do because you've got all the easy, easy things mastered. And so now the things that were hard now become easier. And just it kind of chips away over time. You know, Josh, yeah. you, said, you said something to me uh, through text the other day when we were talking about having this interview. You said, you know, I'm, I'm really not outstanding at anything. And, and I text back to you and I said, well, I understand why you're saying that. Outstanding people never feel outstanding, but outstanding is overrated because I, I know a lot of people who have mega talent and, and all kinds of things that others would look at and say, wow, that they're really outstanding, but they've allowed that talent to go to waste. It's unused. They've never been able to turn it into any kind of practical success in life or ministry or career. And really, I think that that your testimony, your life of being faithful to God in the military and then faithful to God post-military throughout your recovery process, you've gotten married, you completed a bachelor's degree, by the way, congratulations, become a highly respected member of your church and community, uh, and you found great success in your secular career. And I know you attribute all of those things to apostolic principles and things that you've applied to your life, things that you've been talking about over the past few minutes, like prayer and and tithing. All of these are things that anyone can do, but what what makes you and and others like you uh, so powerful is that you just do the simple things every day. You're faithful every day. And eventually that leads to outstanding things in, in your life. And, and I want others who are listening who might think, I don't know if I can be successful. I, you know, I don't, have, uh, I don't have anyone in my corner. I've, you know, what, what principles can I have? Can you just give them to them? You've already mentioned tithing and, and prayer, but just simple things that people can do to find success in life. That, and they're not hard. We've talked about this many times. It's not that it's, it might be hard in the sense that you've got to remember to do it and think about it, but it's not like it's rocket science or something like that. Can you just give people some practical advice for, for life and finding success in their life? I'm pretty sure my wife would laugh, would laugh her face off if she heard you say that. Give some life advice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the first thing is definitely, you know, 
don't listen to anybody. You can be a picky eater your whole life. Yeah. You still can be a success. That's right. That's all you I'm sure can. Say about you that. sure you can be teased your whole life about it. <laughs> In the end, who cares? In the end, who does care? You know, the problem with the word success I've learned is that it's different for everybody, right? So some people label success as having a you know tons of money, or be a millionaire, a billionaire, or whatever. Um, some people success is just having a healthy family, yeah. you know, or, you know, it, everybody's success is different. You know, sure. some people are more content with a simple life and some people wouldn't be content with that. And so what I did was I wasn't sure what to do with my life. And so when I did find something that I was interested in, I would find somebody that was successful in it and I would study them. I would research them. And, you know, like, for instance, the medical device industry, you know, I I met somebody that was, you know, top dog in the industry and I used them as a mentor and I asked them questions and I did research and I, you know, to, to make my decision on things. But to me, it's just, just be happy with, you know, be thankful for everything you have at the moment, because no matter what success that you get, no matter what God could take away everything right now, or he could give you everything right now. Yeah. So it's just easier to be humble about it and to, because there's always somebody that's better. I, I don't ever brag about my service or my combat record or anything like that, because there's so many more people that have done 10 times the kind of stuff that I've done. You know, I, there's, there's people out there that are 50 million times more successful in business than I am that have a better testimony, that have a better, that could give you 10 times better advice, you know, on how to, to run your life, you know, but Overall, I mean, if you're going to have faith and you have to believe, you know, like my, this new job that I'm taking, you know, picking up my family and moving to, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth and a new industry, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's a, it's a leap of faith, you know, that God has his hand on it. And I felt confirmation, you know, throughout this process and, you know, you get your pastor involved in what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a job or not. Believe it or not, they do care about that. They want you to be successful. You know, you want God to be in your financial future. You want to be in your professional career. You want God to be in your marriage. You want God to be in everything that you do in your health. Yeah. And so if you're not praying for those things, you know, in your, in the, in your daily walk, I, you know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Now he's not saying, God, I want a million dollars. But if you say... In my opinion, you know, if you if you say, God, I want I want you in my financial future, please be in my professional career. I would like to do this as a living if it's your will. Yeah. And if it's not your will, and that's the hardest thing for your flesh to bite back when you say that, because yeah. you may want that that dream job like I did, but you may have to wait five years, four years. And it's a grind. And that is, and that is, um, people romanticize prayer a lot. God answered my prayer, God answered my prayer, but they don't tell you the 20 years that you grind away at that one prayer before it maybe comes true. Or even it could be five days or it could be a day, you know, God knows your need. But that's, I think that's the one thing that's missed sometimes from the pulpit is the fact that it is a grind that you have to have faith and God to provide you everything that you need until you're ready for that blessing. And, and for me, you know, if you're going to talk about life lessons is to be the principle really is to be consistent, you know, consistent in your giving consistent 
in, in, in as many things as you can be consistent in. Like I say, you know, it's easy to be on time, consistent on time, because that way you're building up your character around people around you because they know they can count on you. So if you're late and you're always on time, then they know maybe something's wrong. You know, when you're consistent, it's a habit and you make those easy things a habit and then you just kind of grow into other better habits and that grows your principles. And, um, you know, as far as being a Pentecost and being a Christian, that should all, you know, flow over into your professional life and, and everything that you do. If you really do have your prayer life set, like I said, you know, your, your prayer life is very important and you have to make time. And some people don't feel like they have time and they have no prayer life. So they, they let that excuse keep them from praying, keep them from from starting a relationship with God. Or, you know, everybody has an excuse why they can't pay their tithes. I'm too poor. Ryan, you know me. I, I used to be, I was so poor at one point, I could barely, I had to choose between eating and paying my light bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, my tithe check was probably $20. But where in the Bible does it say there's a minimum tithe payment? You know, obviously. It's tough because that's killing your flesh. You know, it's tough whenever you have those small paychecks and you need that $20. But I can tell you right now, you really want to test your flesh. Try writing a $10,000 paycheck. I was just going to say, yeah. You want to check your flesh. But I've wrote, you know, I've had a couple good commission checks. And when I was writing that type check, it checked my flesh. I'm like, man, that's a, that's, that's, that's a lot of money, you know, but then you realize, you know, you would not have that without God. I mean, God's blessing you from all those years of you grinding it out and paying those smaller tithe checks to where you're able to pay these bigger tithe checks, right? So, I want to ask you one last question. What do you wish young Josh had known that would have saved him some heartache and pain. If you could go back in time, get a time machine and talk to a younger you, what would you tell him for the younger people listening right now that that would have saved you a lot of difficulty? Well, I think I would have told younger Josh to mortgage his house and invest in Tesla whenever the market crashed earlier this year. (laughs) Or Bitcoin maybe, yeah. Yeah, should have bought Bitcoin when it was like a dollar a Bitcoin. That's that would have saved me a lot of heartache, I guess, from watching it rise to 48,000 of Bitcoin. That's oh for sure. Goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the problem I have with a question like that, Ryan, is that implies that that failure is bad. Mm, yeah. You know, that heartache is bad. Yeah. And I think that it's imperative to go through the stuff. I mean, for if I would change one thing that I've done in my life, obviously there's things that I've done that I wish I didn't do, you know, I mean, you know, as far as just with relationships or whatever, but I firmly believe that, that if anything changed from birth to day, you know, from my birth to right now, that I wouldn't be sitting here, you know, doing the things that I'm doing, you know, the opportunities that I've had and the people that I know. And like, I know you guys, you know, just all my friends and family, and my friends that are family might be different if something would have changed. Wow. And so I would just tell young Josh, just keep grinding. Yeah. You know, you'll figure it out. You know, I think that, I mean, you could say that about your life. You know, you, you've gone through a lot in your life and your family's gone through a lot 
you know, there's been a lot of sickness in your family, uh, not to break HIPAA rules or HIPAA laws or anything sure. like that. But, right, right. But you it's know, true. Your family, you and yourself, you know, people don't know. I mean, you, you had like four open heart surgeries when you were a kid, yeah. when you were a baby. Mm-hmm. And so went through probably more than I went through, you know, as a child going through all that. And even Jonathan with his leukemia, you know, there's a lot of terrible sicknesses. You know, I got blown up. Uh, the one that got me, you know, one time, you know, and I recovering from that one thing, but lifelong suffering from the things that your family has encountered and, and has put them in a position to where they have a successful church now, you know, they, a home, you know, where the whole family's there involved in the church. I mean, it's really the perfect scenario, but what people don't realize is the amount of failures that happen between then and now to yeah. get to that point and, and pain. Yeah. And pain and pain. And because of all those things, because of those pains, you're more successful for it. And I think that, you know, people want to blame the devil for everything that goes wrong in their life. And sometimes it's just, it's just life, you know, to think that God only helps people succeed financially or succeed in their, in their relationships. I don't think is always true. Uh, I think that because you see people that are not in church, you see people that do horrible things that are successful. Yes, certainly. Well, I would say financially successful. They may have successful by the world standards, right? By the world standards, or even by maybe somebody that doesn't know what they're going through standards. They see a smile, they see a nice car and a nice house, but they don't see the the divorce and they don't see the addictions and all the other things that they're dealing with that come along sometimes with success because they don't know how to handle it or whatever. But yeah. So, I mean, whenever somebody asks those questions, because even when I was laying in a hospital bed, people were asking me if I regretted joining the military, which I thought was really funny to ask somebody. Yeah. That's an odd question to ask at the moment. Well, but you know me, I have a really different outlook on life and just kind of a messed up sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, I just thought it was funny. I'm like, why would you ask me a dumb question like that when I'm like half dead sitting here, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. 30 years old, half my life's gone and I about died. You know, thanks for asking that great question. Yeah. Thanks, Job's um, friends. We appreciate it. Yeah. Job's friend. Hashtag Bible joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But <laughs> so anyways, not to be, you know, I'm not that overly serious about things. I try to keep things lighthearted and but, you know, the, the few things, you know, the few things I do keep serious as I get older, things get, you know, change, like and have more responsibility. So, you know, a professional career, professional growth, uh, a spiritual growth, spiritual career, those things are most important because ultimately, you know, we're trying to make it to heaven because that's what we're doing. Yeah, that's, the you know, that's what success. we're out here doing. That's but we have to success. stay busy, right? Yeah. We have to stay busy. You know, I think it's awesome. I think your answer is perfect. It, It really is the answer that I would give too, and that is the reality of life is that we're going to go through lots of hard things, and sometimes we want to go back and change it or change the circumstances, but every one of those things shapes us, and if we remain faithful and, as you would say, keep grinding, then eventually God blesses every pain we went through and uses it in some way to better us and make us a better person. Josh, I love you, man. Thank you so much for being on Apostolic Voice. (laughs) 